This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro, and brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. Ben's episodes are so awesome. They're under 30 minutes. They share stories with world-class marketers who use technology to generate growth and achieve business and career success. Ben is a great host. I've been on his show. He's been on my show. He always really digs down and gives you actionable stuff that you can take away and do. And he's always bringing up new stuff the science of advertising, how to figure out what to automate, just things that, that marketers are wrestling with today. Check it out. It's the MarTech Podcast. Find it wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz. My guest today is Pam Slim. She's an author, community builder, consultant, former corporate director of training and development at Barclays Global Investors. Uh, you probably know her best for her, I think, first book, Escape from Cubicle Nation. And today we're going to talk about her latest book called The Widest Net. Unlock untapped markets and discover new customers right in front of you. So, Pam, welcome back. Thanks for having me, John. So, you and I are recording this, depending upon when people listen to it, but we are recording this on a holiday, Indigenous Peoples Day. That's and right. And ironically, you are my favorite person married to a member of the Navajo or Diné nation. So, what does this day look like in uh, your household? Yeah, or, well, you know, in, yeah, in my I'd household, actually love to hear because because uh, it's like a lot of those things. It's become sort of a new holiday uh, that, that people celebrate, but I suspect that it has a different meaning in your household. It does. I think you know, we, uh, my husband and I, are the types where I think you can probably relate. We don't really have a huge separation between work and life. Right, <laughs> my husband right. is a traditional healer, and so he's uh, he ran a heavy equipment construction business for many many years. And then when he did kind of an early retirement, now he mainly does ceremony. So really every day for him and the work he's doing is generally about supporting relatives, you know, really strengthening the health, well-being, um, and really cultural connection. I know for me here, we have our, our Main Street Learning Lab, which is a learning lab right in the middle of Main Street. And it's kind of a big celebration here because a lot of the folks who we had use our space are actually opening their own spaces today that are all native led and run. So oh, OXDX cool. Clothing, which is a Navajo uh, clothing design line, opened a new space in Tempe, Arizona. Cahokia, which is a, a Art Tech Social Space is opening up in Roosevelt Road today, and there are, are others as well. So for us, that's really the thing, is to see yeah, indigenous yeah. people running their own businesses and really in positions of leadership. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I, I knew you'd have something valuable to share. So let's talk about your book. Um, right off the bat, the title, The Whitest Net, seems to go against a little bit of conventional wisdom these days. There's a lot of conventional wisdom around. You have to niche down. You have to go narrower. So tell me maybe why that's wrong or how The Whitest <laughs> Net fits into that thinking. I think I'll say the title did its job, right? Because it does make you go, wait a minute, but that doesn't make any sense. And really, a lot of what I see with the model of The Whitest Net is that in many, for many business owners, even those that have been established for a very long time, like you and I, mm -hmm. there, 
we can get in ruts and limit our thinking about who the potential customers are for our business. And sometimes we're just used to always thinking in a certain way about who that audience is, sometimes within a vertical segment, other times maybe within a certain type of person that comes from a certain demographic background. And so at first, if we have a methodology and a system, which I have in the book, for looking strategically at a wide range of opportunities in the market, then of course, we narrow the focus and really make strategic decisions about going in with focus. Yeah, it's funny. I Because that is so prevalent, that thinking is so prevalent about you have to narrow your focus. A lot of people haven't don't have the experience to narrow their focus. They think, oh, there's opportunity to work with dentists, so I'm going to go after dentists. And then they realize, nah, I don't like that direction. Now I've got to pivot and, and change. So I wholeheartedly agree. I'm, I'm okay with narrowing your focus, but before you uh, narrow your focus has always been kind of my mantra. So would you say that this book, because I think what you and I are talking about right now is probably somebody maybe that's a little more established, or as you said, is maybe gets stuck a little bit. Mm. But would you say that this model is also, if I'm getting ready to start my business and, and somebody says, should I read the widest net? You know, what would be your, uh, other than your author uh, and, um, you know, want us to all buy uh, our book. <laughs> Our, yes, our everyone should read it. <laughs> what, what, uh, what would be your particular sort of take on that person's experience? Well, as you as you said in the in the intro, I've had lots of years experience of working with people as brand new entrepreneurs and that are transitioning, especially from corporate, as well as folks that are really growing or scaling. And the methodology to me is the same. It's what I use mm-hmm. with people, whether they're brand new and starting out and just trying to evaluate and think about what would be the best customer segment to start with or customer yeah, segments yeah, yeah. as as they are for somebody who's been established in business. Like, you know, I, I talk often with clients. It feels sometimes like a spiral. We think sometimes that it's just a staircase. You, yeah, you're in yeah. business, you make decisions, you get to a different level and you keep climbing. What I find instead is you just keep circling around the same <laughs> foundations, things that you've established yeah. well with your yeah. duct tape marketing methodology. But when you circle back around, you are really coming at it from a different angle or a different level. So a lot of the foundations, the, the understanding that somebody might have as a brand new entrepreneur is going to be very different from somebody who has tested it and tried it and knows how to sell within one particular vertical. But the the point of view and the the method is the same, yeah. regardless of what stage you're in. I kind of compare it to seasons, I think, that there are elements that are true every spring, every fall, but I'm a different person next year <laughs> when I come around to that. And I think that that, as an entrepreneur, you know, is, is something that if you stick with this long enough, you really start to recognize those patterns, don't you? That's right. Yeah. So- you start this book where a lot of books that are talking to small business owners, entrepreneurs, startups start, and that's with kind of mission and vision. And I know certainly from knowing you for many years, that that's something you truly believe <laughs> that's in your, your heart. There's a lot of literature right now. It's going all the way back to, and, and I'm going to sound a little cynical right now, start, starting with your why and all the things that people have just really grabbed onto. But I think for a lot of people, they end up just feeling hollow or feeling like words. And I know that you don't mean them then in that sense. It's really more, how do you get people to really connect with this idea of mission? I don't think anybody argues that it's not an important aspect, but I don't know too many people that truly connect to a mission. I see it for a couple different places. One is being somebody who for 25 years in my own business has 
spent lots of time in very private, confidential, bearing your soul conversations with people where mm -hmm. I do believe that it, it is meaningful for entrepreneurs to know that all of their effort and energy, the hard path of entrepreneurship yeah. makes a difference beyond just making a profit. So that's one piece. The second piece that's very pragmatic is really the, the puzzle piece link to my method, which is when you really look at connecting to a deeper mission, that is just the bigger description and definition of a bigger problem that you want to solve inside of which your business fits within a bigger ecosystem, which is a foundational thing. So I use one of the examples in the mission chapter about Intuit, which we know makes accounting mm -hmm. software, but their mission is power prosperity. And you think about for them to truly deliver on that, for their customers to truly experience prosperity, they need financial education, probably money mindset work, bank accounts, retirement accounts, a whole series of things provided by other professionals besides just Intuit who is creating that software. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know the scope of the bigger problem that your mission connects to, it is not going to be possible to know where you then dial in with your business to define the specific problem that you help your client solve. And that's what I think is the foundation for a marketing plan. Yeah. And I, I don't think I've heard anybody uh, express it quite um, that way. And I think that what happens is a lot of people, a lot of people stop at the ecosystem or the other parts of this. The mission is let's have this grand mission, but everybody kind of goes, well, yeah, but we just do this one little thing over here. You can't do the grand mission. And I think what you're suggesting is by understanding your place, that mm -hmm. actually opens then the doors for who else do you need to know? Who else do you need to engage? Who else is also serving your same mission? And I, I think that that's a pretty eye-opening perspective. Well, yeah, I think it, it, for most business problems, as wonderful as we all think we are <laughs> within our own business and right. with our products and services, it is impossible to completely solve the problem for your client. I think every client I've ever worked with works with a whole multitude of different service providers. They use different product services organizations. They listen to podcasts. They you know, get information in, at events. So to me, it's connecting strategically to those partners who are aligned with your mission and values that creates natural referral sources, of which I know you yeah. care about so much you wrote a whole <laughs> book about it. <laughs> it's funny you say that, though, because we work with a lot of small business owners. And quite frankly, to truly get them the results that they want in marketing, we probably also have to be or should be helping them with their hiring, with their culture, with making a profit, <laughs> even though those are well outside of certainly my expertise. But I think that I've learned over the years that if they don't have the right relationship with money, marketing is actually going to still be a problem. Uh, yes. for them. And I think that's the sort of responsibility I guess we have <laughs> to develop this whole, you know, ecosystem around a customer, isn't it? It is. And I think you and I have known each other for a long time. And we, in many ways, I feel like I'm just sharing the most obvious thing that most of us who have been in this space know, which is yeah. we know each other. We know the specific yeah. areas of expertise and we'll call each other, right? We've gone back and forth in email. Hey, I have this problem. My client's facing this situation. How can you help me? We refer other, you know, podcasts and resources. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that many people are taught, and sometimes it's how we're socialized in business with this, what I call the empire culture, where you're taught that you must be position yourself as the sole expert who has all the answers to somebody's problems. But the reality is for me in business, I have this whole circle of really smart friends, each of whom has a little different perspective on solving the problem for our clients. And we help each other all the time. It's a very natural process. Yeah. 
I guess what I'm having an aha is that it, it, it really, I think a lot of people say, oh yeah, where well, I'm going to need some help somewhere at some point. I've developed these relationships. I like these people, but I think there's actually an intentional aspect to this. If I get a client and I develop a marketing plan for a client, why shouldn't I, why shouldn't I take that plan and educate the executive coach and the other people that they're working with? intentionally. Maybe that develops a relationship at some point, but the real point of that is now we're both going to be better able to serve our mutual client. It is more and more the work that I do every day working with CPAs. I Mm -hmm. I refer everybody, all of my clients to Profit First. I'm a big fan of that book. It's changed the life for many of my clients. Mm -hmm. And so very often I'm working with web teams and with, you know, CPAs. It's and there is a very direct way you get to know each other's work, but it also saves, I think, your client some time, money, and energy of being the translator between all these different people who they're hiring to help solve their business problems. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. I talk a lot about tools and strategies to track customer loyalty and satisfaction, whether it's predicting consumer behavior or diagnosing the many what's, how's, and why's of marketing. The HubSpot CRM platform has customizable solutions to help your business go from why not to what's next. I love all things duct tape, as you know, except for when it comes to a CRM platform. Many CRM platforms are either over-engineered or clunky and unreliable, costing you more time and money than they're worth. A HubSpot CRM platform means that you have purpose-built solution that's tailored to your business and your business alone. So whether you're just getting started or looking for a robust system, HubSpot is flexible and customizable, meaning it scales and grows as you do. With new features like business units, association labels, permission sets, and more, HubSpot admins can tailor their accounts like never before. And now with sandboxes, admins have access to a production-like account, allowing them to test, iterate, and experiment without risk. Learn more about how you can customize your CRM platform with HubSpot at HubSpot.com. So there are two aspects that are talked about all the time in marketing, and, and you offer them up as chapters of this book. And I don't I think sometimes they're miscommunicated, but I also really like, I'm I'm really butchering my question here, but (laughs) let's break it down into a smaller chunk. You talk about personas, all marketers talk about personas. You may not even call them personas, Uh, but I think where I wholeheartedly support your approach to them is that a lot of marketers think every 35-year-old is exactly alike. Yeah. Uh, and that because they are 35 years old, they are going to have the same problems and the same challenges and they reply or respond to the same message. And I'll let you answer your take on how you think about narrowing your focus to this perfect client. Yeah, well, our mutual friend Susan Susan Beyer from Audience Audit completely changed my life. She's here in Phoenix. She's an attitudinal yep. segmentation researcher. And it really was through working directly with her and my clients that I pretty much just pushed aside defining avatars or personas just by demographics first because you there there really is no way if you look at people of the same age (laughs) i mean just look at you know in any way politically uh from a values perspective from an interest perspective your demographics don't necessarily say anything about the kind of problem you of challenge you have as a business owner so when you look at it first by what is that core problem or challenge that you're helping people to solve. So I know for me, for example, lately I've been working with a lot of people who are thought leaders who have really well-established IP. They have books, they have long-time programs. 
but they want to create a, a licensing or certification mm-hmm. program because they're kind of tired of just doing mm-hmm. it all themselves. So they want to create that. When I'm, when I have that kind of definition of who my, my avatar is, that person could be all different ages. They can live in all parts of the world like they do. And it helps me to actually reach the people to solve that particular problem. So I really just use the methodology in the book that Susan has taught me so well. And um, I've just seen it over and over with clients that we've worked with mutually. Yeah, and I think the the thing that I've used for years, I talk about them as behaviors. They're a must-have, and there are certain things people must have or they can't really be a customer. But then you start getting into ideal or nice-to-have and ideal behaviors. And I think that that sort of transcends, you know, any kind of demographics. Some very small businesses, it comes down to, you know, do we like each other? I mean, that can actually be a narrowing, you know, of who you want to work with. The next thing I want to jump to is something that gets talked about often in maybe more advanced places of marketing. And you bring it in very early. And this is probably the place where I think people will struggle with your book the most, partly because we don't think of it. And this is offer. Um, I think yeah. a lot of people think, well, I make a product or I have a service and I offer it to the world. End of story. Um, now, there are books that when they start getting into, you know, funnels and things that are maybe a little more down the road for people, you know, they start bringing an offer up. I really love that you introduced the concept of offer this early in the book and mm-hmm. probably are going to help some people redefine their relationship to what they sell. Yeah. One thing I find a lot, and I can be guilty of this as well, is a lot of folks just get very enamored by what they want to sell. And right. so it's like, I want to do a mastermind where we could visit a different country every year. And, you know, it looks like it's 10 days long and, you know, whatever. That sounds, sounds amazing. <laughs> Actually, it sounds pretty good. I'd like to go too. <laughs> but, but you can, when you start just by thinking about what you want to offer right. and then you want to wrap marketing around it, Everything to me really is like this, you know, Lego piece link in the method. So when you know the bigger, bigger problem you're trying to solve in the mission, then you figure out based on your ideal customer, what's maybe a specific thing you could do for them. You have to understand the total journey that they need to take to go from where they are to where it is that they want to be. And within that journey, there are certain steps that they're going to take that you, just like you described in your earlier example, may not be the best person to give to them. But you need to understand the totality of that because that's what we know your customer needs to do to to fully get the promise. And then from that, and when you really understand it much more specifically in having conversation with them, then you can figure out what's the part that you can come in and deliver. And maybe it is a different country, you know, (laughs) every, every week for a mastermind, but it could look to be something totally different. So you're right, in general, the things I find that many entrepreneurs struggle with um, is just to hold the space of looking at the bigger strategic picture first. But I feel like if you can do that in the first part of the book, then it makes the tactical piece so much easier and actually quicker when you know the right places to go and the right things to offer. Well, and, and there is an order to this too. I mean, that's that's certainly something I've learned over and over again. A lot of people want to jump to, okay, what's the tactic that I should be doing because everybody's doing it? Should I be on TikTok? And it's like, well, you don't even know your, you know, who who you provide value for and where they are and all those kinds of things. You know, those all have to come first. Uh, otherwise, right. you're just guessing, uh, quite frankly. So when I think of you and how I've known you and how I experienced working with you, relationship 
uh, building, connecting has always been uh, sort of a deep part of your DNA. Um, talk a little bit about that that element of the book, but also a lot of um, a lot of business owners I'm working with these days are are really sick and tired of social media, which was supposed to be a relationship building you know platform, right? Yeah, um, and so. Not to you know, not to politicize it or just talk about the you know the Facebook stuff that you know keeps coming up in the news. But I think just in general, they're just finding that not to be a useful uh, practice anymore. So talk a little bit about how what, what, what's the state of relationship building for Pam Sloom right now. Yeah, I, you're right. I was born, you know, making friends with all the nurses probably in the in the hospital room. <laughs> if you ask my mom, and and I'm really the only extrovert in an all introvert family, both my bi- biological family and my family now. But what I've really learned is that it kind of would be like saying if I just gave you like a whisk and a mixing bowl, no recipes and no idea of ingredients, and just said, "Hey, throw a bunch of stuff together." and put it in the oven probably would taste pretty awful. Mm -hmm. A lot of the reason I think why people don't like social media is because of not really having a strategic way to think about what they're actually trying to do. And what a lot of people think, because my clients are like yours, (laughs) many of them, is that either it's about propping themselves up and self-aggrandizing and just bragging all the time about what they're doing or constantly selling and just promoting mm-hmm. stuff that makes them feel really gross. To me, it simply can be an extension of when you have a well-thought-out plan. One of the best tools that I use all the time for just connecting with people um, is something like a, a LinkedIn message. And yeah. we think about how poorly it's utilized sometimes of people who might just reach out to connect and then spam you with an offer Instead, imagine yeah, you've been at a conference. I, I actually, I actually play a little game. You know, when people you- reach out to connect me, I'm, I go, okay, you know, two dollars. This person connects me, or you know, sells me something in in two days or less. So sorry about that. That's right. But so you know, but just if you know, by converse, if I yeah. know, I just recently had a speaking engagement at GoDaddy's conference uh, last week or the week before, and it was so wonderful when somebody reached out and they're like, "Oh, I'm listening to your session right now. Thank you so much for sharing that." And it just it's such a natural thing. It I just right. makes me feel so good to connect and begin to have a natural relationship. So. It's true. Not every business needs to use social media. I've known people who are very successful without it. But I think a lot of the reason people hate it so much is never really having a framework in which to utilize it effectively. Yeah. And I think I bear some of the blame for this. In the early days, it was about connecting and having lots of followers and having and going out there and seeing it as a free place to broadcast some more. And, and so I think what happened was so many people viewed it as that kind of tool and you know, what you're talking about, the real deep connections, those take time. You can't broadcast those. <laughs> and I think though, for a lot of people, while a lot of people are getting a lot of value out of it, I think a lot of people, the promise of it being like this free way to reach the world is what's disillusioned a lot of people, of course, because it just, you know, it just isn't that. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. It has to be one part of a bigger strategy, or if you don't use it, you need to have some other really effective strategies in place. So you mentioned K. Um, t- maybe for those uh, obviously who are new to uh, your work, you want to talk mm-hmm. a little bit about uh, that sort of unique model that you've developed? 
Yeah. So we have a, we, we call it the CAF Main Street Learning Lab, which is here smack dab in the middle of Main Street in Mesa, Arizona. And really by day, it's my office as a business coach where I coach people all over the place. And my husband's when he works with, with um, his patients. Um, but the evenings and the weekends, of course, in non-COVID times, it is a gathering spot for many, especially Black, Indigenous, folks of color, entrepreneurs, to really test and try different ideas, to teach workshops, to, to you know pilot programs. And what we found, it's been interesting in the research of just starting of knowing, hey, this is a place we know we want to have a presence, especially to be highlighting the leadership of Native entrepreneurs, knowing, seeing as my husband is one, and we didn't see much representation whatsoever in the media. But the other thing that we've really learned with more research with places like the Brookings Institute is that in these innovation districts like we have here in Mesa, it's actually essential to have a place for people to test and try different ideas. Mm -hmm. And for me in my profession as a business coach and a writer and somebody who works with brands that support small businesses, I feel so lucky that literally if I open my door, you know, right now, I would have such an interesting collection of people who would walk through the door and ask their questions. I have a deep relationship with all of my other Main Street businesses. And so I feel like I get just an up close and personal look at this intersection between online business and main street businesses, which drive so much of our economy everywhere. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, depending upon when you're listening to this, the book uh, will be in uh, stores everywhere in the middle of November or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, you've also got, uh, you've got a super class. You've got some other things that obviously is a companion. So you want to tell people about uh, where they can find those and find out uh, more about the work you're doing. That's right. So currently we have a pub date of November 3rd. And as part of that celebration, I'll be doing, I call it a super class as opposed to a master class, partly just to be a little bit different (laughs) and partly because I love to teach and make things fun. But if you do sign up uh, before the book comes out, right before the book comes out in pre-order, we'll do a two and a half hour, very hands-on action-packed 12-month marketing planning session using a lot of the methods in the book. And also you can get a workbook that has all the exercises in the book. I am a coach. I'm really an author practitioner. So every chapter has exercises and we have some tools for you to use as well. And all of that you can find at PamelaSlim.com forward slash the widest net. Awesome. Well, Pam, it was great catching up with you and uh, appreciate you dropping by the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. And uh, hopefully we'll uh, run into you uh, when we, uh, now that we're starting to slowly get back out there on the road. Sounds good, John. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. So that wraps up another episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. And you know, we love those reviews and comments and just generally tell me what you think. Also, did you know that you could offer the duct tape marketing system, our system to your clients and build a complete marketing, consulting, coaching business, or maybe level up an agency with some additional services? That's right. Check out the duct tape marketing consultant network. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that offer our system to your clients tab.